Gospel, chapter 15. We're going to finish 15 and go through 16, a good portion of 16. And I have a question today for you, and it's this. It's our text, and the question is this. What is the Holy Spirit's job? What is the Holy Spirit's job? And we talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son. But we don't talk as much about the Holy Spirit. So as we come to this place in our text today, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. And we need to understand that because the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and with the Son. So as we discuss that, uh, we'll maybe learn a few things today and maybe it'll just uh, uh, resurrect some thoughts that you already have and knowledge that you already have in your mind. I have a little book by my bed. I have a lot of books by my bed, and uh, this one little book, it's about presidents and vice presidents, and I love kind of reading over those little stories about presidents and vice presidents, and uh, one president that I kind of like to read about because he's so different is Calvin Coolidge, and Calvin Coolidge was called Silent Cal, and he was vice president before he was president, and uh, <clears throat> He was also over, over the Senate, and two senators got into a fuss. And one senator said to the other senator, you go to hell. And the senator looked at Calvin Coolidge and said, he can't say that to me, can he? So Coolidge starts going through. says, well, actually, he can tell you, but you don't have to go. <laughs> And that's the great thing. Someone may tell you that, but you don't have to go. And uh, Silent Cal kind of diffused the situation with a little bit of, of uh, comedy. And the tension was lowered and a little bit of laughter ensued. But you know what? The devil would love to tell you, you've got to go to hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. But you know what? As I read through the rule book... It tells me I don't have to go, and you don't have to go, and none of us have to go, because God's Word says that He saved us from that horrible place. So we can come and say, you know what, you can say whatever you want, but the Word of God says, I don't have to go. I don't have to go. I get to go to heaven. Now, the setting of our passage is kind of a unique passage. We, we've gone through the, the foot washing and Jesus with the upper room. We, we've gone through him, him telling the disciples about he's headed back to, to heaven. We've gone through about the vine. And now we come to the very last part of that after joy and love. And we come to the place where he's going to tell us what the Holy Spirit is who the Holy Spirit is, and what the responsibility of the Holy Spirit is. And he uses a word that we are going to say, it's, it's a simple word, it's called paraclete, and it's broken up in two, two ways. Para meaning alongside of, and kaleo meaning to be called. So the Holy Spirit is called alongside us to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to help us as we go through our daily battles with life. So with that said, as the Holy Spirit has come alongside of us as believers, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a number of passages, so just be patient with me. We'll start in 15, verse 26, and go down through verse 15 of chapter 16. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but I cannot bear them now. However, when he... The Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and declare it to you. Heavenly Father, I pray today that we would have more clarity into the understanding of the Spirit's responsibility in our life as the paraclete comes alongside of us to encourage us and support us. And Father, I just pray that uh, as we rely upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, that uh, the Holy Spirit won't be such a mystery, but the Holy Spirit will just be that third portion of the Trinity. And Lord, we will recognize that truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, as you're seated, as I said, the Holy Spirit is the co-equal of the Father, co-equal of the Son. And sometimes people look at the Holy Spirit as a mystery and say, well, I just don't understand the Spirit. I understand the Son, I understand the Father, but the Holy Spirit just kind of intrigues me that I don't quite understand those things. Well, there's a lot of different names for the Holy Spirit in Scripture, but I'm just going to give you a few. I wrote these down. It's called the Holy Ghost in the King James Bible. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of the Living God, the Holy Spirit, just to name a few. So you get a a group of names about who the Holy Spirit is. But it's the Spirit of Christ. And when Jesus ascended back into heaven, He said to us, or He said to the disciples and the apostles, He said, I'm going to send you a helper. And this helper will come alongside of you, guide you, direct you, support you, encourage you, will never leave you, and everything that I have to say to you, he will allow you to recall through your mind because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come to garner attention to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit comes to push the attention to Christ, to focus the the, the, the attention on Christ. And in fact, in our text, in chapter 16, verse 8, it says these words, When He has come, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So if you really want to know what the responsibility, the job description of the Holy Spirit is, you could write down John 16, 8. That's what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. So let's look at three things here concerning this. Number one, sin. The Holy Spirit shows us what's wrong. 
Now, maybe you're here today and you say, well, there's nothing really wrong in my life. I don't even realize that I have committed any sin. Well, just give the opportunity to the Holy Spirit to convict you and you will understand you are a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. You didn't just wake up one day and say, well, all is well with me and I'm a great person. There's only two types of sinners, saved sinners and lost sinners. Forgiven sinners and those that are unforgiven. Those are the two types of sinners that there are in this world. And every single person falls into one of the two categories of sin. And that's what John is telling us here. Now, <clears throat> the thing about sin is this. There's two different ways God works with the sins of the lost person and the saved person. Number one, He convicts the lost person of unbelief. When, if, if you're not a believer, what happens? The Holy Spirit is working in your life to convict you that you have unbelief and that you need to believe. What do you need to believe? You need to believe not in the righteousness that you possess or the goodness that you possess, but you need to believe in the righteousness that Christ possesses. And then you need to have that righteousness imputed in your life so you can have the forgiveness of sins and be in a right relationship with God. Now, the qu question is, how does that take place? And, and, and why do I need that? Are you certain that I, I need that, John? Absolutely. Think about it like this. We're all born with that sin nature. You ever have to teach a child to sin? Tell a lie, throw a fit, have a tantrum. You don't have to teach them that. I mean, it comes naturally. And, and, and you have to teach them not to have those things, don't you? You have to say, you know, you settle down. And, and, and when they're really young, their emotions are just out of control. And, and, and you can't hardly control them. I mean, they'll be just, I mean, just crazy happy one minute, crazy sad the next minute. They're like on this roller coaster up and down. And that's kind of how a lost person is. I mean, with their sin nature, and, and it's not controllable. And that's what the, the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to come into our life and help us with unbelief so we can control the sin nature in our life through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, as lost people, people that don't know Christ, we choose sin. We choose to sin. We, 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 we choose to fall short of the glory of God. But when we come to that place where we reach that age and the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, we begin to understand right and wrong. We begin to understand this is a choice that I'm making to sin. Do I continue to make this choice or do I continue to say I need to pursue Christ and I need to have forgiveness of my sins? So what we have to do is come to the place where we start denying self. And that's really hard because when we die to self, I mean... We, we are so used to living for ourselves, being selfish by nature and by choice, that it's a difficult decision because by nature we gravitate toward wrong. By nature we gravitate toward what brings pleasure momentarily. And, and it's so simple to do that. And, and what happens is we, we, we kind of give in to the lust of the flesh and, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and, and, and we just begin migrating toward that. But what we need to do is seek the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And, and as we come to Christ and, and, and ask for him to forgiveness, and, and, and we say, listen, Lord, I need you. I've got to have you. I, I, with, without you, I, I, I can accomplish nothing. And, and we say to ourselves, oh, Lord, you know, I've been evaluating myself, and I'm not really that bad. Have you ever said that to yourself? You know, and what we do by when we say that, what we're doing is we're judging ourselves against somebody else, aren't we? 
well, you know what? I, I know Bob down the road, and Bob's really bad. But I, you know, I'm sure I do a few things wrong, but I'm not as bad as Bob. Thank God for Bob. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of how we, we, we operate. But we have to become aware of our sinful condition. We have to become aware that the Holy Spirit convicts us. And when the Holy Spirit starts convicting us, think about it like this. At Pentecost, 120 Days, 120 believers, I mean, in the upper room praying. And, and it's 40 days after, after they've had Passover and they've crucified Christ. And, and a little over a month later, they're praying in the upper room and Pentecost is here. And then the world explodes. The Holy Spirit is sent. And as the Holy Spirit begins convicting, people begin hearing in their own language Peter preaching. And, and, and you have all of these, I think, 11 different nationalities, and they begin hearing. And, and, and Peter's preaching, and they're pricked in their heart. And watch this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When you get under conviction, you know what you ask? What do I need to do? Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you baptize in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to do. You need to repent, and then you need to come and you need to be baptized to identify with Christ. That's what you need to do. They were cut in their heart. You ever been cut in your heart? I mean, you just feel like, oh, I can't take that. That's just so difficult, so painful. You know, I've told this story many times, but, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in the church. I, I was taken to church all my life. I was drugged to church. I was carried to church. I walked to church. Even got a few rides to church. But we always went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for revivals, for everything that was over. We were there. But you know what? It wasn't until I was nine and a half years old that I was pricked in my heart, that I was cut in my heart, and I recognized the fact that Jesus died for me. Not just the church, not just the world, but he died for me. And, and I was cut to the heart. And you know what I did? I couldn't wait for the invitation. And I walked down to Brother Tanner and I told him, I said, I don't understand everything that's going on, but I do know this, I need to be saved. And that was a transformational moment in my life because I knew what had to be done. The question is, have you ever done that? Has the Holy Spirit ever cut you, pierced your heart? Where you came to the place you said, Lord, I, I, I can't go on like this. I, 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 I no longer have unbelief. I have belief and I, I want to get this right with God. But there's a second way this happens. He convicts lost people of unbelief. But he guides believers into obedience. You see, once you become a believer, once I became a believer, there's a young boy. Then he began to guide me into obedience. And you know what I did the first thing? I, 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 I didn't understand it all, so I, I said to myself, I can't sin. I can't sin. I can't sin. I can't do anything wrong. Anybody remember doing that? Yeah, I mean, just like, oh, I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. And boy, I thought that first day, I was like, I think I did it. I didn't, but I thought I did. And then, you know, about a week later, I'd blown it so bad. I was like, oh, my goodness. Then I, my grandmother had to explain it to me because I didn't quite understand everything. And, and, and she began to explain more and more and more, and I began to understand more and more and more. But in verse 13, watch what our text says. It said, when he, the Holy Spirit, 
of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. So he is our guide. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi, if you will. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit comes into our life as believers, and he begins to teach and transform us in our life. The Holy Spirit plays a different role. It's not just conviction of sin. Now it's I'm going to guide you. I'm, I'm going to guide you. And I don't know about you, but we all need someone to navigate us through life. That's why God gave us parents. That's why God gave us grandparents. That's why God gave us teachers. That's why God gave us pastors and, and those that uh, will be counselors and, and, and help us to navigate the difficulties and, and the travails of life and, and as we make our way through life. So rather than just convict us, he guides us the way we should go. I don't know about you. I don't have my phone out here with me, but I have GPS on my phone. Do you have GPS on your phone? Probably everybody in the world has GPS on their phone that has a smartphone. You know, Sandy and I, we were going to Texas. Been years ago, we had the Avalanche, and it had, it's a 2011 model, and it had GPS. And for some reason, I don't know why she did it. If you could explain the mind of a woman, come and talk to me. But she put the phone on GPS with the truck on GPS, and we were getting conflicting signals of where to go. And I said, turn one of them off. Well, this one's saying here, this one's... And we were so lost. And it kept rerouting, 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 rerouting. And finally I said, honey, the phone's more updated than the truck. Just turn the phone on. So we turned the phone on, and we're hearing one voice. And as we're hearing one voice, we finally got back on the road that we needed to be. So what I'm telling you is, you're hearing two voices, you're hearing two voices. There's one that's going to mislead you and one that's going to lead you correctly. But what you need to do is understand the Holy Spirit is our guide, not the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as we listen to the right guide, we'll make the right turns in life. But if we don't, what we're going to do is we're constantly going to be rerouting. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more frustrating than being rerouted. Well, it is, well, maybe a few things, but that's one of them. It's really bad. But we need to have control in our lives, and the Holy Spirit wants to give us that control. You ever seen that bumper sticker? And I know you have. You don't seem like you used to. God's my co-pilot. Well, move over and let him be your pilot. He doesn't want to be the co-pilot. He wants to take over. He's the boss. He's the master. He wants it all. God doesn't want to sit in the right-hand seat. He wants to be in the left-hand seat. He wants to be the pilot. Now, Sometimes we just need to come to the place where we say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, here's what we often do in our lives. We quench the Spirit. We quench the Spirit. We say, you know what? Just like Sinatra, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. And we quench the Spirit. And, and, and sometimes we get the impression that the, the Holy Spirit... doesn't need to direct me this way because we get the sense that I want to do this. But the Holy Spirit, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will cause you to have the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, 
all of those things, self-control, which there's no law. And, 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 and what the Holy Spirit will do, he will, he will make you a compassionate person. He will make you a loving person. The Holy Spirit will make you the type of person that, that builds others up and doesn't tear them down. The Holy Spirit will make you the kind of person that you will write a letter or a note or a word of encouragement or send a text that builds somebody up and doesn't tear them down. Because that's what true love is. And love is coming alongside like the Holy Spirit and helping support, strengthen, encourage, and motivate for good. Prompting the Holy Spirit. So don't quench the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do a kind act, a kind deed, send a card, give a call, pat on the back, a hug, just a word of kindness. Do it. Because every person you meet is fighting a battle. And they need to be encouraged. We all are going through times of difficulty. So the first thing is the Holy Spirit deals with what? Sin. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, job, part of the job description, is righteousness. He shows us what's right. And if there's ever a place and a time that we need to know what's right in our how many thousand years of human history, it's now. We need to know what's right. We need to know what's right and what's wrong. And uh, when Jesus talked about righteousness, now listen to me, he's not talking about goodness and, and he's not talking about behavior. He's talking about a right standing before God. That's what true righteousness, biblical righteousness is. It's not that we are right, but it is he is righteous. And he imputes that righteousness to us. He gives us that righteous standard. And then we live up to that standard because of the presence and power of the Spirit of God within us. Listen, what we need to understand is this. Jesus said in, in, in verse 10, these words, Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It, it, righteousness, he goes to his Father because he lived a righteous life, a pure life, a holy life, never sinned, was resurrected from the grave to vindicate his life on earth and his power over sin, hell, and the devil. And then he ascended back to heaven and he then sends the Holy Spirit to give us this righteousness that we need that we can live with the robe of righteousness wrapped around us to bring honor and glory unto Jesus. Now, it's not about being good. It's not about being bad. But it's about being in the righteousness, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Now, we think we know the right way, don't we? We think we know the right way. And oftentimes we get the cart in front of the horse and we don't do so well. The average person, if you ask them on the average person on the street, how do you go to heaven? They would say, be good and do good. Be good and do good. That's what you have to do. Be good and do good. But that's a lie. There's no truth to that. It's fine to be good and do good, but it's not going to get you any closer to heaven. What gets you closer to heaven is knowing righteousness and having that righteousness given to you through the blood of Christ, and then we go to heaven. Proverbs tells us in chapter 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. The, way, the end is the way of death. And it seems like it's the right way, but it's the wrong way. I read a story several years ago. Uh, if, if you ever go down to Texas, I mean, they are building, 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 building. I mean, they have these overpasses over overpasses over overpasses. They're so high, I get scared just being on them. And I read this story several years ago about this 19-year-old boy that was driving at night, and somehow he was, got on one of those overpasses, and as he was on that overpass, he missed the barricade, and he drove off the end of that without hitting his, 
his brakes, not a skid mark one, and fell to his death. It seemed right, but it wasn't right. It was a way of death. And a lot of people are just motoring along in life. Everything seems great, and, and, and they don't realize the road ends out here. It's called death. It's called death. And when that road ends, there's no more opportunity to get right with God. That righteousness offer is over. So what we have to do is realize, hey, the Holy Spirit's convicted me of sin and of righteousness. I'm getting on board. I'm buying the ticket. It's called the blood of Jesus. <laughs> That's what I want. I, I'm, not, I'm not taking any chances with this thing. And he offers righteousness. You know, I used to have this little thing. I'd say, how many of you are righteous? And people would not, they'd kind of, I don't want to really raise my hand. Then I'd say, how many are going to heaven? Everybody would pop their hand up. Well, you can't go to heaven unless you're righteous. <laughs> okay? It's not your good, but God's good. And God's given it to you. So be grateful for that. Be grateful for that. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's where we are at without the righteousness of Christ. But God offers that free gift of righteousness through Christ, and what we do, we have to accept the promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now I like that transference, don't you? Amen. I like getting the good stuff, and he gets my bad stuff. What a, what a deal. What a deal. Man. I mean, let's make a deal. And that's a deal. What a deal he gives us. What a great exchange. What an offer. On the cross, Jesus took my worst and gave me his best. I read this novel. I don't know. I, I lose track. It years ago. It's a novel about an, an American ambassador who was serving in South America. And one of his co-workers was, committed, was, was convicted of treason by the foreign government. And they were going to line him up and, and, uh, before a firing squad and shoot him. Well, the ambassador, being a brave man, went and said, You're not going to kill this American. He's not a spy. They said, We've convicted him as being a spy. We're going to shoot him, the firing squad. Ambassador pulled that American flag and walked over and wrapped it around him. He said, if you shoot this man, all of the power vested in the United States of America will come down raining upon your country. Guess what? He was wrapped in the flag of the United States of America. And they said, okay. And you have been wrapped in the righteous robes of Christ. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see your unrighteousness, but he sees your righteousness. He sees your purity. And that's what he sees. He doesn't say they deserve death, but they deserve life because of what my son has done. Lastly, I'll be done. Judgment. The Holy Spirit shows us what's coming. One job of the Holy Spirit is to confirm in our hearts that we will face judgment. In verse 11, it tells us these words. Because the ruler of this world is judged, judgment is going to come. This present world is ruled by the devil. But I want you to understand something about that. He's the ruler over a dead, depraved world. The Holy Spirit reveals two aspects of judgment. Number one, Satan has been judged and condemned. 
We ought to say amen for that. Thank the Lord. So, don't give the devil his due. Devil's done. Devil's done. But we often give him more than his due. And we often think he's like a co-equal to God. He's not a co-equal to God. He's a fallen angel. He has limited powers. It's not like, you know, they're going down the field in a football game that some of you are going to watch this afternoon. It's going to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, one team's going to line up three seconds left, kick a field goal, and we finally pulled it out. That's not the way it is. God's got it under control. It's already a done deal. Satan is defeated. He's a defeated foe. He doesn't win. We win. Revelation 20.10 is one of my favorite passages concerning this. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and the brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Satan is a defeated foe. Judgment has come. Condemnation has come. He's been tried. He's been judged. He's been condemned. He's just waiting on his sentence. But it's coming. Secondly, people will be judged by how they respond to Jesus. That's us. How will we respond to Jesus? We will all face judgment when we die. We'll just face a different type of judgment. You see, in Revelation chapter 20, there is the great white throne of judgment. And by the way, you don't want to end up there. If you end up there, it's all over. It's all over. The last thing you'll hear is, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. You do not want to end up there. Those who rejected God's offer uh, of forgiveness and God's offer of righteousness and reconciliation, that's where they'll end up. Revelation 20, 15 says, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But Romans 8, 1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who walk according to not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. We are in a perfect relationship because of Christ. Acts tells us in chapter 16, 17, excuse me, verse 30 and 31. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, concern, now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this, to all by raising him from the dead. Listen. The Holy Spirit came to convict. Have you been convicted? The Holy Spirit came to judge. Have you been judged? The Holy Spirit has come offer you righteousness have you received it if not today is your day would you come and receive it today the greatest gift that's ever been given don't wait don't debate you see a lot of tears can make you feel emotion laughter can make you feel emotion but neither one can save you only true salvation so if you need to come today, don't say some more convenient day because this is the convenient day to come. Every head bow, every eye closed.
Heavenly Father, I pray for your will. I pray that you would draw, you would convict, you would convert, as only you can. Lord, there are no human words that can cause that to happen, only the presence and power of the Holy Spirit of God. And Father, you draw, and without drawing for salvation, there cannot be salvation. So Lord, today, may your will be done in the hearts of every person here. I pray maybe a young man would grab mother, grandmother, grandfather's hand and come. I pray a husband might grab a wife's hand and come. I pray, Father, that an older person might just say, I've waited and waited, but it's time. I'm coming home. I'm getting right with God. Whatever the need may be, Lord, thy will be done. In Jesus' name I pray.